Hello, and welcome to the Buddhist Recovery Network podcast. Today, we are very excited to be sharing a talk by Kevin Griffin. It is a wonderful talk that we hope you enjoy. And we'd also like to remind you of our upcoming Academy on April 3rd, featuring Vince Cullen. You can get more information about that at our website, BuddhistRecovery.org. And also, as a reminder, on May 1st, we have an Academy with Mary Stankovich. Please check out our website, and now, enjoy the talk. They asked me for a topic, and and as I often do, I just try to draw from the work that I'm doing, whether in my own practice or more broadly in my teaching, the things that I'm focusing on um, as a as a topic. And, and so uh, I came up with this title, The Breath of Recovery, because I've been working a great deal with the Anapanasati Sutta. <laughs> I'll put that into the chat for people. If I can type here, just a moment. Got books pile up around me. Pati uh, Sutta, and that that means it's the um, discourse on mindful breathing, mindfulness of breathing. A very famous discourse in the Buddhist tradition, um, second only really to the uh, discourse on mindfulness, uh, the four foundations of mindfulness, Satipatthana. And, and, and when I say famous in the Buddhist tradition, I'm talking specifically about the Theravadan tradition, but, you know, not to get into the, the, the whole discussion of Buddhist history and lineages. Um, so, um, so, yeah, this, this sutta is a fascinating and, and beautiful one and, and one that we are all, we're all, whether we know it or not, we're all um, steeped in it because that's the, it's really the, one of the key teachings on on meditating. So every meditation teacher draws from it in one way or another. Um, and so this morning, as I was doing my own practice, uh, you know, I was reflecting on on the talk, and then realized, oh, <laughs> didn't I write a book with the t- with the word breath in it somewhere? Oh yeah, and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, of course, thought of one breath at a time, and um, and so I, I think maybe that's kind of a starting point. Is that title, you know? Uh, because as you know, I think everyone here probably understands that that title was was meant to be a play on the Alcoholics Anonymous and twelve step phrase, one one day at a time, and. Uh, and I'm I'm always grateful that I came up with that title because I feel like it was the perfect title and just an accident to to think of a good title, and because it it tells you just what the book is about. You know, oh, this is about recovery because I recognize that phrasing, one something at a time, and then oh, it's probably going to be about meditation because people do meditation with the breath. So so it kind of like tells you what the book is, which is a which is great. But, you know, when you think about what that means, the implication, you know, to me, the implication, of course, and again, maybe this is obvious, but just to sort of jump off from there, the implication is that it's one thing to get through your recovery 
by saying each day, okay, I just have to get through today, right? That's that's the idea of one one day at a time. It's like, okay, I don't have to worry about tomorrow. I know I've got all these problems that have to be so- solved and, you know, I'm getting divorced and I got fired and my kids hate me, but I just have to get through today and not drink and use, you know. And that's great, only... 24 hours is a long time to get through when you're, especially when you're newly in recovery. But, but for each of us, we can have days where, where uh, just this moment is the challenge. And so the idea of, I just have to get through this breath, you know, just one breath, you know, is sort of the, the outer limit of, of uh, survival as a, as a person in recovery. And so what is it about the breath, right? So interesting. The, in the Anapanasati Sutta, before the Buddha gets into the, the core teaching, he's talking to Ananda, his attendant. And, and uh, he's, been, he's been meditating and Ananda says, well, what should I tell people you're doing? And the Buddha says, you should tell them that I'm, I'm practicing mindfulness of breathing. Because that was his practice, right? And, and how you know, remarkable and inspiring and beautiful is that, that we can do the same practice that the Buddha did. I mean, that's, uh, I find that kind of uh, you know, chilling in a beautiful way. Like, uh, he wasn't doing some like esoteric visualization and like, you know, uh, my, you know, astral travel or something. He was just being mindful of the breath and he became enlightened like, wow, okay. I think I could, I can do the first part. I don't know if I can do the second part. I can do the mindfulness of breathing part. So in this, uh, as I've been really studying this sutta, uh, I have been reading a collection of books and, and actually I'll, I'll, I'll mention them for you in case you're interested. So uh, there's a book by Buddha Dasa Bhikkhu called Mindfulness with Breathing, which is a really good, actually, I like that translation of the sutta. And then Thich Nhat Hanh has a book called Breathe, You Are Alive. It's about the Anapanasati Sutta, both of those. Then Venerable Analia, who's the modern, the great modern scholar, just has a, a book called Mindfulness of Breathing. So it's, they're pretty easy to find since they all are based on the title other than Thich Nhat Hanh. Uh, there's also a book by a Western teacher called Breath by Breath. And I will say, and this is something you can get for free, like right now. <laughs> it's a very, just a little pamphlet kind of from Ajahn Pasano. And this is kind of what got me on this, on this deal. It's called Nourishing the Roots. And it's available. I'm going to put the website in. It's available. This is just going to be all resources today. Uh, the Abayagiri Monastery website. You can go to their website and under their uh, books or publications, something like that. There's a link and there's a PDF of this. It's called Nourishing the Roots. And it has a chapter on the Anapanasati Sutta. And it's like very succinct and very accessible. So there's some, some resources for you uh, 
if you're interested in doing your own work around this. But the, you know, and, and it's great to read these different teachers' approaches because we get the things that they all agree on or sort of are similar. And then we get these sort of divergent views, uh, which I find really intriguing and, and that then invites me and invites you to reflect for ourselves what, what the meaning and purpose of this text is. So Buddhadasa Bhikkhu really emphasizes the health benefits of breathing deeply, which is very interesting because most Buddhist meditation teachers will tell you, don't try to control your breath. Uh, because when, when, when we teach meditation, especially to Westerners who are kind of control freaks, <laughs> many of us, uh, then, and we say, okay, be aware of your breath. People are like, okay, I'm going to be really aware of my breath. And, and I'm get, how, how am I supposed to breathe? And it's like, no, just there's the breath and then there's awareness. And you just let, the, let your body breathe as it will and be mindful of that experience. That's the simple and most common instruction. But uh, Buddha Dasa makes this suggestion that it's really helpful to take deeper breaths. And of course we know that, right? If we've ever taken a yoga class or Qigong or Tai Chi, all of these traditions emphasize breathing into the belly. So, okay. But, you know, I don't think we can walk around all the time breathing like that, but it's a really good like reminder so I'm taking that these days as a reminder when I, when I notice, oh, I'm really scattered, is to take a deep breath. Well, that's not a revolutionary teaching, right? You've all heard that before. In fact, people say it to, uh, to people all the time that have nothing to do with meditation. Somebody's upset. They say, breathe, breathe, right? So we already know that that's like a healing modality. But that's the beginning of the sutta. And the sutta, the Anapanasati, has actually 16 steps that are divided into four sections. So uh, that's, uh, it can get complicated, but it's, it's simple in a way. And the, 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 the first section is just about the breath, but the other sections are not just about the breath, which is what's interesting about the sutta as well. Although it's called mindfulness of breathing, it's much more than mindfulness of breathing, this sutta. So it starts, the steps of the sutta start with breathing in, I'm aware, or I understand that I am breathing in long, I'm taking a deep breath. Breathing out, I understand that I am breathing out long. So immediately there are questions about this. I'm not going to go into all the questions because I'm, I'm writing on this right now and perhaps there'll be a book or maybe I'll just, you know, have to burn everything I'm writing because it's very challenging. Uh, the second step is to notice when you're breathing in short. So it's like just to, the start of the, of the process is to just kind of notice how your breathing is. So it's not like trying to control it at all at this point. It's just like, how am I breathing? Which is can be really helpful because when you notice that you're taking short breaths, you know, you know, oh, oof, let me just calm down and take a deeper breath. The next step, though, is to be aware of your whole body as you are breathing. 
So the thing that holds all these 16 steps together is that there is awareness of the breath as I'm doing these other things. So I breathe in, experiencing the whole body. I breathe out, experiencing the whole body. Well, we're very familiar with this as well in our meditation instruction, right? Most, most people <clears throat> at some point in their practice learn to work with bodily sensations with, or you might work with Goenka practice of, of uh, scanning or sweeping the body, right? Taking your awareness through the whole body. So you could be sitting and feeling the whole body as a single thing, or you might be sort of checking through it. So then the, the fourth step, and, and these first four steps are really probably almost enough for us to go through today. I'm going to try to try to cover the rest quickly, but, but I want to talk about these in, in the framework of recovery. So the fourth step is I breathe in calming the body. I breathe out calming the body. So again, we see, we recognize these things, right? We've, we've all used these techniques consciously or unconsciously in our meditation or in our lives. Start out just being aware that we're breathing. Then we're kind of aware of a larger context of my body as I'm breathing. And then I'm actually trying to accomplish something. So we're going from just being mindful and just observing to bringing intentionality to trying to use the practice, use the breath to calm the body. It's not just mindfulness now. This is what we would call right effort, right? In the Eightfold Path. So just to put these steps in the context of our recovery, <clears throat> there's a lot that can be just said just about these four steps. First, that when we tune into the breath, it brings us into the present moment, which is such a critical thing for people in recovery. We are so much lost in the past and the future. And the past and the future are, are cripple us in many ways. Our regrets, our trauma, our guilt, our shame, all those things from the past that we carry. The the oh, maybe even worse than all of that is the conditioning about our beliefs, uh, our beliefs about ourselves. You know, well, this is who I am, right? Th that belief system. So just coming into the present moment, you know, all of that is gone. That's just in my mind. It doesn't exist in any reality except in my mind. All of that past stuff. Right now, what is real? is this breath right here. Okay, can I just be here right now? You know, okay. So I start with that. And then I realize, you know, not only do I have breath, but I have a body. Wow, and the implications of that for an addict are huge, right? Because the way we've harmed our body, the way we've treated our body, the need to take care of our body, 
you know, when we do, when we get clean and sober or come into recovery, we realize, you know, it's not just the drugs and alcohol, my eating, my exercise, you know, my sleep, everything was dysfunctional and all of that needs to be healed. And, uh, you know, and, you know, one step at a time, one breath at a time, one day at a time, we, we start to heal around the body. And, you know, for sex addicts, for food addicts, the implications, again, are very deep and broad because all the craving is right there existing in the body. And we have to learn to live with those feelings. We have to learn to be with the body. So many of us, so many people in recovery, and I run into this a great deal, people feeling disconnected from their body, you know, feeling that, you know, they're afraid of feeling their body, feeling into their body, or because of trauma, it's a scary place to go. So there's so much work to be done around this. And we, like, and we, that's step three, right? Well, we get to step three. And sometimes we realize I need to go back to step one, step two here. I need to just breathe. So the breath is actually our what gateway into gently feeling into the body. We, we gently allow whatever is showing up to come and to be touched, to be felt, and only as much as we can manage in a given moment. So particularly around trauma or you know, deep, deep painful conditioning in the body, we don't try to go, oh yeah, welcome. I'm opening now because I'm a Buddhist and I'm in recovery. Let it all come. No because that, that can re-traumatize. So we, if we realize that there is stuff in there that's, you know, that's scary for us and feels dangerous, we breathe and we hold the, and we remember that this is just, we are here right now. This is not the past. This is now I'm feeling this and we feel what feels manageable. And then we stop. If it, if it starts to overwhelm, then we just come back, just the breath, just breath, keep it simple. So very careful and, and a lot of work with therapists and others, you know, can, can be done around this. And I'm not you know, a therapist, so I, I'm not going to try to give you more explanation around that. But the the next step, the fourth step, the tranquilizing the body then becomes one of the most valuable pieces in this process. Because of course, you know, what's the most famous mindfulness program? Mindfulness-based stress reduction. <laughs> well, that speaks to the need for this calming aspect of the breath. And we see this is not this process that's being described in the sutta isn't something artificial. It's not really imposed. If you practice mindfulness of breathing, you will gently and gradually naturally open to mindfulness of the body. And as you do that, you will naturally start to bring, develop calm. But it's helpful to have this pointed to so that we say, okay, I'm with this, I'm breathing. I'm feeling my body. Now I'm going to see if I can really calm myself. And this is, for me, it's always the exhalation is the calming breath, right? The in inhaling is the energizing breath. The exhaling is the calming breath. And we start to use that. We start to, you can use visualizations. These are often suggested by many of the masters, visualizing 
Thich Nhat Hanh says, visualize a pebble being dropped into the water and dropping down to the, to the floor of the ocean. I have a kind of, it's not quite a visualization. It's more of like a felt visualization that I feel just energy flowing out and downward through my body into, my, into the earth. Um, this connection with the earth is a really good way to connect with this practice. The, the, the practice of, uh, you know, sitting like a mountain that uh, John Kabat-Zinn talks about. So we see that just these opening stages can be critical supports for their recovery. And, and when I say, when I say, I know in some ways, you know, I'm thinking of this as like kind of early stages of recovery, but as Susanna mentioned, you know, I've been sober for 36 years and I work with these fourth steps on a daily basis. You know, it's, it's, you know, foundational. So very powerful and remarkable that while we're one quarter of the way through the sutta and look, look how much transformation can happen just in these early stages. So, so I'm going to take you through the rest of the sutta a little more quickly and suggest that you, you know, explore the sutta for yourself. Um, and, and yeah, and, and real, because this can become just a guiding teaching for a long, long time. So the, the first tetrad, it's called the first four, are about body, and that parallels the satipatthana, the mindfulness, the, the four foundations of mindfulness. So the second tetrad, the second four steps, are about feeling or feeling tone. And interestingly, it's what the, what the second tetrad says, one trains breathing in, I experience joy. Breathing out, I experience joy. One trains breathing in, I experience happiness. One trains breathing out, I experience happiness. So I find this striking and surprising. Uh, there's a lot to it. But the suggestion is that once you calm your body and bring and the mind becomes very focused on the breath and calm, that a natural form of happiness, of joy, just a pleasant feeling will arise spontaneously. It's not something you have to create, but that it's actually there. Now, this is very much, you know, I've been talking a lot about Thich Nhat Hanh with his recent passing and, and really drawn back to his teaching. And it's, this is so much what he's speaking to. And, and again, another place I really recommend, you know, exploring his teachings, which are simple, but pure and direct. And one way of thinking about this is that Happiness is actually a natural state that when we, all that's involved 
in finding happiness or, or even more simply, a pleasant feeling in the present moment. All that's involved is to let go of the things that obscure that. So in Buddhist meditation, we call these the five hindrances. Many of you sure are familiar. Desire, aversion, sleepiness, restlessness, doubt. So those are the things that block us from feeling pleasant <laughs> without you know, making it a big deal, from feeling a certain joy. And so rather than, oh, I have to chase after happiness and find it somewhere or generate it, what I need to do is just let go of the things that are blocking it. And so we can say that this, the early steps around mindful breathing are ways to abandon the hindrances. This is the terminology, abandon the hindrances, the terminology. I'll also say that there's a, a critical piece of this is that when we tranquilize the body, <laughs> the other term, right? calm the body, when we, when we calm or tranquilize the body, what happens? I'm pretty sure that every one of you has, who has done any extensive meditation has experienced this. <laughs> we start to fall asleep, right? And so we discover that in the teachings, there's a critical balance that has to be achieved between concentration, which is very calming and can be sleep-inducing, and energy. If we have too much energy, we're restless, right? Where mind is disturbed, the body is uncomfortable. If we have too much concentration, the mind gets dull and sleepy. So these two have to be balanced. So this second tetrad immediately addresses that. The, the Pali word the, from the ancient language of the Buddhist teachings is piti, P-I-T-I. And it's sometimes translated as rapture. It's actually a physical joy. It's not so much like mental as it is a, a, a sort of energetic experience in the body. So what we're also seeing is that this teaching is pointing to the importance of having a balance in our energy. And we all know this as well in our recovery, right? That's why the middle way is so helpful for people in recovery. We have the tendency to go to extremes. Have you noticed that? <laughs> Right. Oh, I can get really concentrated. I'm going to get as concentrated as possible. Whoops. <laughs> oh, I need energy. I need to get out there. I'm going to run a triathlon, do a triathlon, you know. No, just like, you know, try to keep some balance, right? And so, you know, oh, no, I need the third cup of coffee because I don't have enough energy, right? An extra Xanax. I'm not, you know, we, we. So, so this balance is so critical for us. And, and it has these emotional implications as well, right? Because when we talk about tranquilizing and energizing on the emotional, on the dysfunctional emotional level, we're talking about bipolar, talking about depression and mania. And these are the energies that get uh, when they go to extremes, of course, uh, become pathologies for us. So working with energy 
for addicts is really, really important. You know, what are drugs were so much about energy, you know, alcohol masks fatigue. So thank God it's Friday, you know, TGIF is like, well, I'm wiped out from the week. Let me get drunk because that'll mask my fatigue until I pass out, right? Or let me drop some speed or, you know, or I'm too wound up. Let me get some downers, you know, and, and, and a lot of our, like, a lot of our addiction was this uh, screwing around with energy in a way. Like, it's fun to get jacked up, right? Yeah. So <laughs> I'm getting, getting myself excited here. Uh, so in our meditation, we sit with these energies. This is uh, such a critical piece of our practice. And that why we start with the body, because all the energy starts in the body. It, it is reflected in the mind and the mind, you know, influences the energy as well. But we start with working with the body and becoming comfortable with and learning how to hold different energies, pleasant energies, unpleasant energies, sad energies, excited energies, joyful energies. Breathing with all of those, right? Breathing with mindfulness, with breathing. So the uh, I can see I'm running out of time. So I'm gonna I'll wrap up this tetrad and then briefly kind of outline the the next two for you. So the uh, this tetrad starts with being experiencing joy, experiencing happiness. And then it's experiencing how those influence the mind, mental formations, how the pleasant feeling forms a thought and we create a mind state. And then the, the last step in this tetrad is to calm the mind, calming the mental foundation formations. The next tetrad is about just mind, which is more on the kind of a pure awareness level, rather than on watching my thoughts and and you know the sort of typical ways that we think about mind. As you probably are aware in Buddhist meditation, there's then this broader awareness when we become aware of awareness itself, and at this stage we're just kind of sitting back observing this space of mind. Um, you know, in the context of recovery, to me, this is like the beginning of really getting the broad perspective and realizing, you know, it's a dance. It's a, it's a wild dance and I don't have to join in. My addiction is like a story. It's, you know, it's a conditioned creation and I can just be a step away from it. And this is where we develop equanimity. So in this stage, there is this broader awareness, and then there is a, a concentrating, and then what's called liberating the mind, which, which to me means really being free from uh, being stuck, free from being stuck in self. 
ident and, and identifying. So that's part of right this broader view of like, oh yeah, I'm an addict, and there's a bigger view, which is that I'm not an addict. I'm not not an addict. That's just those are just names. Those are labels. That's a creation of mind. That behavior was a creation of mind, and I don't have to participate. I can be free from that. Now, I'm not suggesting this as like, okay, I'm not an addict anymore because I know what follows that. Well, if I'm not an addict, why can't I go? You know, there's a pot store right down the street. I mean, come on, I live in California. They'll bring it to my door. It's not a problem. You know, it used to be I had to go to the dealer's house. You know, nowadays it's so easy. You know, or get a six pack. I'm not really an alcoholic, you know. No, that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about really a, a, another level of awareness. So this in the sutta is when the mind really starts to become so deeply concentrated that there's just no more selfing. And with that, we go into the last tetrad, which is about impermanence and letting go. And it's just seeing impermanence. And we have to, to see this on a, on a deep level. We have to be very, very quiet. The mind needs to be very quiet to see this. This is why we do, this comes at the end of this process. The, there's, there's disidentification, there's concentration, there's letting go of selfing. And now I can see the process and I can see the process of creation and then see the process of cessation. And, and then finally, there is a complete letting go. So the Buddha in this sutta, after giving these instructions, shows how all of this correlates with the whole process of awakening with the seven factors of enlightenment. And so this is why I said in that brief description of the class that this practice starts with the most simple meditation instruction, but it leads, if we work with it, and, and when I say work with it, I mean you come back to this over and over and over and over and over and over, over, over <laughs> for years and years and years, probably, then there's this gradual awakening. You know, there's this transformation that can happen through it. And um, it's such a beautiful, powerful teaching. And I'll, I'll just finally say that uh, many of the experts and masters that I've been reading suggest that even if you're not you know, you, you're looking at these different stages and you're like, I'm not really there. You can still do, um, in a period of meditation, you can kind of go through the steps in your mind and you start, you're starting to kind of acclimate your mind to these steps. And you, and you kind of, what happens is you start to just kind of touch into them. It's like, okay, I'm not quite experiencing liberating the mind, as it says here, but I sort of have a little taste of what that might mean. So, um, you know, I recommend for your own practice that you look at this sutta and work with this. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope this was helpful.
Hi, I'm Vimla Sara, President of the Buddhist Recovery Network. Our mission is to help promote the use of Buddhist teachings and practices to help people recover from the suffering caused by addictive and or compulsive behaviors. Our organization is a volunteer-run nonprofit which has expenses. We offer free monthly live teachings on the academy, free resources on our website, and all our podcasts are free. We also organize a bi-yearly summit where many of us come together. We rely on the generosity of you, our listeners, and our interviewees in order to produce these offerings. We are asking you to donate to help with our expenses. Thank you. And to show our gratitude for your support, all Patreon supporters will receive access to special guided meditations. To unlock these, please offer your support by going to patreon.com forward slash Buddhist Recovery Network. Again, patreon.com forward slash Buddhist Recovery Network. Thank you so much for your generosity. May all beings be free from the roots and the causes of suffering. May all beings be at peace.